Hi, and welcome to The Essential Pitch. This is the show which helps you make winning pitches and presentations so you can raise money, win business, and grow your confidence. And you'll learn from people who are doing it at the highest level. I'm David Beckett, pitch coach, TEDx speech coach, and I'm the founder of the Best 3 Minutes Pitch Methodology. And I believe that great ideas need a voice. For more help with creating your winning pitch, go to best3minutes.com. And this podcast is not sponsored. My goal is to share insights and learn more myself from the amazing people we have on the show. In this episode, I'm talking with David Allen. He's the creator of the Getting Things Done methodology, and he sold millions of books around the world on the topic of productivity. Now, I think you're going to love this episode, not just because David's about the smartest guy I've ever met, but on top of that, he shares his tips and tools on effectiveness, and he also shares his experience of three TED Talks and speaking on some of the biggest stages. What I most like about David is that he's highly experienced and yet always in learning mode. He's a shining example that you really can just keep learning through your career. So let's get into it. Special welcome to David Allen. Uh, Delighted to have you here, David. David is the originator of the Getting Things Done methodology. Uh, It's all about productivity and, as the name has it, get things done. Uh, So really delighted to have you uh, with me today, David. Pleasure to be here, David. Yeah, Yeah. indeed. Yeah, I'll just give you a chance to introduce yourself, where the Getting Things Done methodology came from and, and what you've been working on. I spent the last 35 years really uncovering how to surf on top of your world and stay focused while you're having a very, very, very busy life uh, and staying nice and clear and discovering the best practices, techniques that allow you to do that and put that all together. And after thousands of hours and hundreds of thousands of people that have been through a version of this methodology and refining it, figuring it out, refining it, and, and now distributing it around the world, finally wrote a book called Getting Things Done to package all that together. And then that kind of put us on the global stage yeah and that book was sort of a breakthrough i think it it, it brought it to a much wider audience well it did i didn't know david that i could virtualize what i'd come up with Mm. i didn't i i knew that if i had you my captive for two (laughs) days i could give you this i could have you implement it you could get you could taste it you could then you know run with it but i didn't know if i wasn't there if i could put it in some sort of a uh, virtual form and have somebody still get it yeah. And so that was actually a milestone for me to, to, to think that I could actually put myself or put the methodology into a book mm. and see if it worked. So in 2001, when the first edition was published, that was a big milestone. The, the first weekend it was on the shelves in the U.S. anyway, I got an email from a woman. She said, wow, David, I read the book. I implemented it. It changed my life. I went, okay. So now it's possible to scale this. So that yeah. was a big change, was recognizing we, this was a methodology we could actually scale. Yeah. And I think we have various audience f- for this, uh, th- this talk. And one would be coaches, I think, other coaches. And uh, I, I've often said to people who say, you know, how can I build my coaching business? build a methodology, build a set of steps that people can follow. And this feels like that is the, you, you have the ultimate methodology. It, 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 yes, it really is. And it kind of boiled down to that. I, I did not wake up one morning with some grand epiphany. Mm. As I say, it's a long string of epiphanets. Yes. You know, I got a little piece here, then a little piece there. And mostly for myself to begin with, my life was getting more complex and I was starting to feel 
confused, overwhelmed, wasn't sure what to do mm -hmm. as my life was getting more complicated and busier. So for myself, having had an experience and a lot of experience in meditation, spiritual practices, and the martial arts, understanding the practical value of a clear head, you know, lots of aspects of that. Yes. And so my head was starting to get muddied you know, with the complexity of life. So I was hungry, first of all, for techniques that work for me so I could stay clear. Then I turned around in my you know, initial consulting and coaching practice and used the techniques with my clients and it mm. produced exactly the same results. Mm. More clarity, more focus, more stability, more sense of balance, more, more really space to be able to then think about the meaningful stuff and focus on it without being distracted. Hmm. And then that sort of somebody in the big corporate world saw what I was doing, said, gee, we need that in our whole corporation. Can you design some sort of a training around this so we're not reaching people one at a time, but you can spread this to a large audience. And so sure. that then uh, I did and it was successful and that threw me, thrust me into the corporate training world. Right. And that's that then, as I say, then it took me 25 years to figure out what I'd figured out and that it was unique <laughs> and that nobody else had done it and that it was bulletproof. That's when yeah. uh, I had people coaching me said, David, you need to write the book. Yeah. And so I, I put all of that 25 years of experience into the manual. It's a little daunting if people sort of pick it up for the first time to see all of that. It, although it's simple stuff. It's like, yeah. you, it's like the stuff you teach, David. Come on. It's, it's, it's simple, but it's the basics of it. And you're always yeah. going back to basics and uncovering another level that the basics will take you to if you do them really well. Yeah. I think a methodology is about giving people a kind of a pattern to follow, a set of things that they can, they can keep hold of <clears throat> in their life and, and keep coming back to. Yeah, but it's not arbitrary like, like no. your stuff is. It, is. it actually is the way that you not only get things done, but get things done with the least amount of effort and distraction and, and um, stress. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, one of the ways that you've been bringing this methodology to the world is speaking on stage. So I was interested to ask you a little bit about your public speaking experiences. And uh, do you remember your first presentation, by the way? Well, I, I have to say, I, I had a little bit of a running start <clears throat> on this because uh, my first presentation was at age four uh, when I, I walked into the living room where my parents and some other people were in the living room and I recited by heart a Bugs Bunny uh, album uh, record <laughs> in front of, and everybody thought, oh my God, this, he, this kid is so funny. He's so cute. And so I, I, you know, there was, when I was a kid, I didn't want to be a fireman or a policeman or anything. I, there were two things. I either wanted to be a horticulturist or a comedian. Right. Uh, you know, because I loved planting and growing flowers mm. as a kid, and I saw how he—I didn't couldn't put words on it—but I saw how healing it was for people to laugh. So mm. I, I loved that. Jerry Lewis was my idol. So I had kind of that—I uh, guess maybe a little bit of a DNA of a presentation yeah. thing. My mom then, uh, my dad died when I was real young, but she pretty much raised me. And she, when, when I was ten or eleven, she saw that uh, she would sort of nurture this, so she gave me acting lessons. So oh, it turned cool. out, long story short, I became sort of the child actor in Shreveport, Louisiana, where I grew up in the community theater, summer well, theater. So I had a number of roles. So I actually yeah. was on stage. This was by script. So it wasn't like I had to make it up. Right. But I had the experience of being on stage and lights and cameras and so forth. And so I got that, that, that helped ease the, the thought. And then I debated in high school. Okay. And I wound up being a, a champion debater, and that's where you really learn to stand up in front of, yeah. you know, judging people and make it up, yeah, you know, and kind of like and and try to try to make that work. So those were some, you know, um, 
those are some things that gave me, a, I think, a good bit of an advantage sure. you know, for doing this. And then, of course, once I got into the getting things done world and that training world, I did an awful lot of seminars and coaches and then keynote speeches. I think my biggest keynote was for 5,000 people wow. at one time. Uh, so I had a lot of that kind of experience. If I'd say, so it's kind of hard to say what was the first time yeah. that I actually, you know, had or needed to do something like that. So I kind of was able to ease into it in sure. a way. And uh, when you mentioned presenting in front of 5,000 people, do you find it a big difference presenting to 5,000 or 500 or 50? Uh, well, just psychologically, there is, yeah. you know, unless you've, do, unless you've done that 20 times, like yeah. somebody like Tony Robbins or somebody probably they like falling off a log, uh, but I hadn't. So it, it was like, oh, what's that going to be like? Yeah. But then, you know, bringing to bear the things that I'd learned called talk to one person in the audience, right. talk to the back of the room, yeah. you know, don't just pick somebody, you know, you need. So there were just some of the tips and tricks of mm. just giving any kind of a presentation to groups that I was, you know, had to bring to bear, mm. you know, for all of those things. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a difference, but I think once you get used to it, uh, you just stand up and, and, and it's a conversation. Yes. And learning to then have a conversation, whether yeah. it's one person or 50 people, I think that's something I, 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 I had to get used to doing that. Yeah. And, you know, it took a lot of experience to do it, but it, it happened. It's funny, isn't it? Because when we're in front of the audience, it feels like the last thing we should do is a conversation. It needs yeah. to be a kind of a, a presentation. Yeah. It needs to be a ta-da moment. Yeah. And actually, uh, I think the moments that people react best to is when it is conversational, when it's more yeah, connected to the real person. It, in, yeah. Indeed. Well, you know, one of the tricks I had, and, you know, I, I grew up in California in the 60s, 70s, and 80s in the high... In the, in the, the high you know, the high times of personal growth trainings, mm. you know, and self-development trainings, the intensive, you know, off-site workshops where you work on yourself. And, you know, right. and a lot of that was learning, you know, uh, something that later on I would say was the ultimate success factor to presentation, that's authenticity. Yeah. So if I'm totally nervous and scared, I stand up and go, folks, I am totally nervous and scared right now. I hope you don't <laughs> mind if I flub some of my stuff. I just have some important stuff to tell you. And don't let my inexperience get in the way of you getting that. Yeah. If that's a real statement, and you know, many times that was for me, hmm. then people, they, they're totally forgiving. Right. They, they, they get uncomfortable if you're uncomfortable. Yes. You know? Yeah, I noticed that if something goes wrong with the tech, the advice I got from a musician was you just tell people something's gone wrong, we're going to fix that, and then you go away, you fix it, you forget the audience until it's fixed, right. and then carry straight on. Right. And uh, the, the less that they feel that discomfort, sure. the better it is for them. And you can, you know, there are also, you know, really good tips and tricks. If I'm talking about GTD or productivity, I'll mm. say, Gee, folks, something just went haywire over here. You know, you know, a lot of this is about how do you deal with surprise. Guess what? I just got surprised. Yes. You know, so let's see how well we can do. It. So, by the way, everybody, take the next five minutes and see how productive you can be. <laughs> you know, or in your case, it's okay. Everybody, turn around and present something to your neighbor. Yes, yeah. that's a great <laughs> or, advice. Actually, yeah. I'm going to keep that one up my sleeve because normally what I say is. This has gone wrong so that you know what to do when something goes wrong. So this is what you do. And then I just run them through this kind yeah. of pattern. Um, so, yeah, I think it's always about being ready. So, yeah. yeah. And then that said, as you know, you know, I've done uh, three TEDx's and where you have to squeeze something into 18 minutes. You don't have a lot of time yes. to be 
that informal in a way. Yes. You have to have a kind of informal tone, I think, to what you do, but there's a lot you need to get into 18 minutes. Absolutely. You know? There's a plan you need to there's, have. You need to have a plan. You need to, and, you know, I, I even doing, um, uh, you know, recorded videos and so forth, I used to like to think I could wing them. Right. Yeah, like we're winging this. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's fine. We don't need teleprompters. But then I discovered one day with a teleprompter how much more natural I could be. Yeah. Because I yeah, didn't have to, there wasn't some part of me trying to remember a script or what to do inside yeah. of my head. I could just use that and then just be in, you know, comfortable with that at the same time being a comfortable person. So there there are there are things that are you're not necessarily born doing, or even if you had a lot of experiences I had, yeah. a lot of hours on a stage, there's an awful lot of stuff to learn. Definitely. And you know, as I've told you, I've had three different coaches for my three different TEDx's. Yes. And they were brilliant. And surprised me. I mean, I guess am I going? You know, I've, I've talked a lot. I don't know if I learned anything from a coach. <laughs> and it's like, they sat me down and I, you know, gave my thing. And they said very politely and very nicely. They said, <laughs> David, here's what was so cool. Here's where you had me. Here's where you lost me. And yeah. I gulp. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds great coaching, by the way. It's, yeah. I'm going to keep that phrase in mind. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting because sometimes the coach starts with, "Okay, this is what you got to change," and and especially when you're a little bit experienced or very experienced, I think that can really be a kind of a switch off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so thinking about the TEDx talk, what, what was the biggest challenge for you? You've done three TEDx talks. When when you think back on the first or the second, what was the biggest challenge for you? I think the biggest challenge was my first one because I'd never had been forced to take what I would consider my life work and put it into 18 minutes. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, ooh, okay. Yes. So, um, so, you know, we were smart enough. I was, you know, we were made a good enough choice to then call on some of the best. We knew uh, of Nancy Duarte's work in yes. California. And so, uh, we decided, I knew Nancy from some other connection, and I said, you know, let's, let, let's, let's hand this to them and see what they would do with it. Right. Because I had sort of my own shtick, and I had my thing figured out. Mm -hmm. Here's what my keynote would sound like. Here's what I'd like to And they were very elegant in terms of what they did. So they had mm. me deliver that to them, actually a room full of them, you know, five or six. Wow. And they were very, very nicely, took me apart. Right. <laughs> piece by piece. They yes. said, wow, the first 30 seconds, I was so enthralled. And then after two minutes, you lost me. I was, <laughs> you know, there was way, 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 way too much for them to try to integrate and try to do. So I had to, I had to swallow hard and listen to their coaching about how I had to simplify. I had to make it simpler. I had to make it, had to add more emotional quality and story, mm. essentially, to, to what I was saying. And yes. they, they were challenging me, David, what's the best story you have that would make the key point you want to be able to make here? Right. And they challenged it because I, I hadn't figured that out or done that initially. And that's what, yeah. they had, that's what they had me do. And when they talked about story, that was really something personal, <clears throat> something about yeah. your, own, your own life. Yeah, so if anybody it. goes and looks at the, my Claremont College uh, um, TEDx, the story mm. starts with me on a sailboat. Yes, I remember. Uh, yeah, and, and and also I remember you said uh, that she, uh, Nancy Duarte, and her team they had quite an influence on the graphics, oh, on indeed. the slides, and, uh, to, to support uh, that story. How did that work out? A lot. 
Oh, it worked out great. If you go, if you go see that TEDx, you'll see a number of their slides that they that they came up with. Mm. They didn't, you know, again, they didn't give me the content. They mm. wanted to understand the content at a, as deep a level as, as they could get it, right. and then give their spin on how they they would transmit that. Because I'd been doing this work for, golly, by that time, you know, at least twenty five years, mm. maybe thirty years. And as you probably know, the longer you stay into this, the more you yes. kind of get a little blindsided to, yeah. you know, you need somebody outside the box to take a look at it from another point of view. And especially somebody who's has an expertise mm. in that kind of presentation and that kind of storytelling. And Nancy is brilliant at it. I mean, she's, she's great. I mean, her TEDx is wonderful. Yeah, her TEDx is fantastic. That's yeah. really time worth investing is watching yeah. Nancy Duarte's but TEDx as Again, well. and they make the point, as you know, that, that, that the slides are not the story. Slides are the backdrop. They're the background. Uh, they add juice to it. They add a visual component and an even emotional component if you've got the right pictures. Um, is that for, for instance, in my, in my first TEDx where I talk about something as kind of out of date or old or old fashioned that's <clears throat> not working, you know, they came up with a slide of an old jalopy that was falling apart in an old overgrown field. Mm. I couldn't have, I wouldn't have thought of that yeah. quite in the way they did, but they were able to see it from the outside with their expertise about knowing what kind of images. And also mm. one image, one thought per slide you know, of course, Nancy's, you know, is sort of the author of Death by PowerPoint or whatever yeah. that was, where it's like, hey, come yes. on, get rid of your text, yes. you know, on those screens or minimize them, you know, for sure. Mm. And mostly give yourself, you know, visual, emotional component yeah. you know, as a backdrop. <clears throat> I work with a slide designer. He says the same thing. One idea, one slide. Yeah. And uh, I think that helps people to keep focused on, on the story. I mean, in the end, they're here to hear you speak, especially for a TEDx talk. Yeah. And uh, the, the graphics are there to support. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if you, when was the last time you still got nervous about presenting? I get nervous every time I present. Okay. Only it's not nervous. You just learn to translate that to excitement or prep, right. prep energy. Yeah. So as long as you change that around, you know, every situation is kind of new and, and, mm. and different. So, I, you know, it wasn't like a grand epiphany uh, one time, but over the years learning that, hey, I'm just getting it. Getting, uh, usually I get, I'll have more of that if it's something new. Mm. that I have never really delivered before. Yes. So I don't have my grooves, I don't have my track, I don't have my stuff that I can trust, yeah. you know, that the thing is naturally going to sort of flow out, right. where I actually need to work at it. And that's where practice helps a lot. Yes. Helps a ton. Yeah. You know, to be able and to practicing out loud and practicing hearing Practicing out loud, hearing myself. I would, uh, <clears throat> at the time I was still living in California, so I still had a car and still had long, some long commutes. Oh, okay. And I, so I would actually practice with my stopwatch or with, you know, yeah. in the car, I would practice okay. my talk to make sure Great. I could get it within that time frame to see what, what it was like. And, you know, nobody's, nobody's listening to you. Yeah. <laughs> it could be however you like. Except it be, myself. You know. yeah. 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 And uh, that could be your own critic, but uh, yeah, it's somehow... Your criticism can be more constructive when there's not other I, people around. I, you know, I never did what you should probably do, which is record yourself and play it back because I can't stand hearing myself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't. Yeah. But the practicing in the car, that worked for you. You know, it really does help. It, yeah. it, it does help to go th as much as you'd like to think that you're really, really good at this stuff, especially if you have a condensed time frame 
and it's not something you have plenty of time to you know mm. to, to to move around and to fill in the blanks and to feel your audience and see whether you you're with them or not. That's also a big difference between a live seminar that I've done thousands of, you know, over these 35 years. And when you're doing something where you can't necessarily relate to the audience, either it's like you're on stage and you can't even see them because of the mm. lights, you know, or you're doing something virtual where you don't have a live audience. So you you actually <laughs> need to kind of practice yeah, that. Absolutely. For instance, as we're talking here, so I'm talking you know, to the camera, assuming now it's easy for me to envision, you know, a uh, hundred people or 50 people on the other, just on the other side of that camera. Right. But it took me a while to start to get used to used to that. Hi, hi, folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those hundreds, Come on thousands, in, you know? ten thousands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, to think a little bit uh, about uh, getting things done for entrepreneurs. Um, you know, I work with a lot of young startup founders, and people uh, are changing their lives, their working lives. I think more and more people realize, hey, I could start something for myself. Um, when you work for a company, quite often you get help with. Uh, being guided on how to uh, plan your day. Somebody will give you some kind of introduction to productivity, maybe get some training. But when you're an entrepreneur, you're out there on your own. And uh, I, I think quite a few entrepreneurs say to me, well, I deal with that with my app. So they have an app for productivity. Um, but it seems to me that there's something a bit deeper that's needed, some other tools. Um, so how do you see that in, in today's changing world? How do you see it for those young, young entrepreneurs used to working with the phones, digital natives, so-called? Where, where does getting things done fit in for them? Yeah, well, as you probably know, a whole lot of the folks you've been working with come from a digital programming background. Yes. Right. In which case, they were all in a cubicle that nobody even knew they existed. Right. Right. So they didn't have to deal with interruptions, didn't have 25 plates spinning at the air all at the same time. That's with true. With all these different multiple fronts of things pulling and pushing on them. Yeah. And so they think the app, which used to work for them because they had a simplified life that didn't have yeah. that many moving parts. So as long as you put the right moving part in, you know, a little bit of a streamline and you could get from here to there and, yeah. you know, that, I know that's an oversimplification of an oversimplified life, but it really was compared to they're stepping out now and they have to be a party person. They have to be an accountant. They have to be the, the visionary. They have to be a motivator. They have Absolutely. to be, oh my God, now they've got all the roles of any CEO. Yes. Or anyone who's actually not even more than the CEO oftentimes has an easier job, much like a very simple job, because their job is pretty well defined. The same mm. committees, the same direct reports, the same yes. people, especially if they've got their groove down where they're handing yeah. off an awful lot of stuff. Entrepreneur doesn't have that luxury. So they've got to really handle an awful lot. Yes. Now, it's not just limited to startup you know, high-tech entre entrepreneurs, actually the whole world is moving into more entrepreneurialism, even within organizations. Yeah. Nobody has, they don't have the resources to have lots of levels of management holding everybody's hand. Absolutely. They're expecting people to be self-starters. They're expecting people, especially if they've got a virtual workforce. Right. If you're virtual, even if you work in a company, you have to manage yourself. They have to, yes. you have to have that kind of a lifestyle. But back to the entrepreneur, yeah. They're, they have, they are almost the hungriest group in a way, mm. but you know, if you're 24 and it's all an adrenaline rush, you know, so what, you know, mm. they're not necessarily, but as soon as they have a kid and want to learn to paint as well, as well as they're trying to manage, you know, a gazillion other things that can get to them pretty easily. Yes. So that, that, that's where the hunger for the methodology I came up with starts to come into play. 
Mm. And interestingly, it's the most productive aspirational people that tend to take to what I what I teach. Yeah. It's their own productivity that's thrown themselves out of their out of their own comfort zone. Yes. They've overcreated past where their systems could catch up with them. Right. And now they need to bring up the rear guard, call God, you know, how come I'm distracted by this dumb dorky little stuff? You know, because I got bigger things I need to think about. No kidding, but you still have to handle that. Yes. So handling that you know, it's like I say, you either like what you're doing in case you want to do it better and more elegantly, you know, and improve your ability to do more and expand it, mm. or you don't like what you're doing, but you got to do it anyway. So you want to get it done as efficiently and as effectively as possible. So it doesn't exhaust, you know, it doesn't take wind out of the sails of the cool stuff you want to do. Yeah. Either way, getting much better at getting stuff done much more efficiently and effectively is going to serve everybody. Absolutely. And yeah, again, the biggest trend in the world is, is speed and time. People don't have time, so they, they need ways to maximize what they've got and, yeah. uh, and make as, the best of it. As you know, there's a lot of speed up by slowing down that's needed too. Yes. So especially at the entrepreneurial level, for them to back off at least once a week and take one to two hours and back off and mm. lift up and, and reflect. You know, almost anybody that mm. I know, at least in the corporate world, who's dealing with executives or internal entrepreneurs saying the biggest need is reflection time. Right. And so if you don't have reflection time, if you're just grinding it out at some point, there's no, there's no air left. Yes. You know, and you're going to have to be able to then step back, take a look at all the different stuff. And as you know, you need to get stuff out of your head. And that's the problem is most people are still trying to use their head as their office and your head is a crappy office. You, your brain did not evolve to remember, remind, or prioritize or manage relationships with more than four things. Right. That's now proven by the cognitive scientist. Yes. As soon as you are trying to keep track of more than four things in your head, you're going to tend to be driven by latest and loudest and not being free to use your strategic intuitive intelligence to make good choices about what to do. Yeah. And that's what the getting things done methodology, which is get stuff out of your head, decide what it means, what you're going to do about it, next actions required projects that you need to be completed, keep all that externalized in some external system that you review and reflect on regularly. So it frees up your head to what an entrepreneur can do very well, which is vision, use your intuitive intelligence, mm -hmm. making good, spontaneous, intuitive decisions about that, not that, not that. But trying to do that, if it's all in your head, is virtually impossible. Yes. Much easier to do. As a matter of fact, it's, it's now possible if you get all that stuff out of your head in some external map or orient, you know, orienting kinds of things. Anybody watching or listening to this who've, who's looked at their calendar in the last 48 hours is already doing a version of that. Yes. <clears throat> like you can't keep it in your head. Why do you have a calendar? Because my head can't do it. No kidding. Right? Why do you look at your calendar? To locate yourself in space and time so you know where to be next and you know how to kind of orient yourself over the next period of time. No kidding. So if you're doing any of that, that's the principle of what getting things done is, but very few people are taking that to the level that it could be taken to. An entrepreneur is a very ripe place to actually implement that process. I think so. And uh, you're also a big fan of actually writing things down, of getting things out of your head by writing things down. This is one of the, the hearts and souls of the, 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 the methodology. And I still find that people are saying, yeah, but you know, I write that on my phone. Now my personal view on this is I find things are more sticky by physically writing stuff down compared to writing stuff on the phone. And there's also a little bit of shrinking things down to the, the phone screen, whereas once you write stuff down on post-its or on uh, notes, things become more real, more out there, 
bit more easy to visualize, a bit more easy to organize. How, how do you see that distinction? I think that's probably true. I don't make that distinction in terms of the methodology. You can use yeah. anything, anything, as long as right. you, the problem is, is that <laughs> a best practice is not just to capture it, but then sooner than later to look at it again and decide what it means and what you're going to do about it. Yeah. So the capture or collection process is very different than the reminder uh, process and right. organization process. You need to gather all that stuff out. The problem is if you're using a phone for that, that can be a black hole. Did you put it in mm. Evernote? Did you put it in Apple Task? Did you put it in Dropbox? Oh, well, oh, oh. And you know, it's going to very potentially lie fallow there. Yeah. And so if you can stick it in there and have the discipline, and that does take this or takes a habit, you know, once it's once you once you get used to it, of making sure it doesn't lie in there. Then right. you then get it back out again so you can look at it in the face and go, wait a minute, what's the next? Am I going to do something about that? What's the next step on that? Is there something I need to keep track of to finish about the, what that stuff is? And that's the second and third stages of how you get stuff under control is you capture it first, but then you need to look at it and clarify exactly what it means, exactly what you're going to do about it. Is that reference? Is that a crazy idea you want to park for a while? Is that something you actually need to move on right now? Mm. And that's the clarification step which is an important step most people don't quite get to like mm. they need to about all the stuff that they do capture. So you can capture, you can write it on your butt if you want to. It doesn't really matter <laughs> as long as you look at it soon enough right. and then decide what it means and what you're going to do about it. My personal feeling about this is probably it makes sense. If you, if you choose an app, we, we use Slack in my business quite a bit uh, as a place to capture stuff, but we also use some of those other tools. I'm starting to think as we speak, maybe we should choose one. And actually that seems to me the outcome. If you really, somebody who likes to capture things digitally, then find one place, try to keep things in yeah. uh, that, that might need action. Uh, in in one place so that it's easy to review it and easy to make decisions about where does it sit yeah well a couple of friends of mine who actually live in Amsterdam who are long time decades long GTDers developed mm. an app called Brain Toss okay. and the, what that is is on my iPhone I can then record picture write or whatever and it instantly goes into my email box not into some black hole in the phone Wow. So they, they organize it knowing that you, if you, okay to capture in whatever tools, virtual tools you want, yeah. but make sure that gets into the pipeline right. that you're going to get, that you're going to see and put in front of you. And because yeah. I empty my in basket, you know, my email in basket every day or two, you know, then that will, that will get handled. So that's a, an elegant way to deal with that yeah. if, if you want to be in the digital world. But quite frankly, you know, come on, you know, I, I still, I'm a pretty high tech guy, but there's still nothing better than this little sucker right here, because this no clicks, no yeah. battery required, no Wi-Fi connection required. Right here, and this goes with me anywhere that these little uh, you know plastic things yes. you know go, and that's pretty much everywhere with a way wicked cool little pin yeah. you know, that I carry with me. So that's with me everywhere. Yeah. And most of your good ideas, by the way, about work won't happen at work. The more sophisticated you are, mm. they happen offline somewhere else. Yes. So if you only want to have that idea once, and by the way, if you want to talk efficiency, don't waste your time and energy, only have a thought once, unless you like the thought. There's right. no reason to have a thought twice, okay. unless you're just not, the only reason you'll have a thought twice, oh, I should, oh, I need to, oh, I, oh, I got to, or whatever, if that pops in twice, you're not handling it effectively, right. you're wasting cognitive energy and exhausting yourself. Right. A mind like water. Well, that's the way to mm. deal with the surprises. See, it, it, as an entrepreneur, you, you, you've got in spades what everybody's dealing with, which is the speed of change mm. and surprise. 
Yes. Hey, folks, anybody listening or watching this right now, there's a, there's something coming toward you in the next two to three weeks that's going <laughs> to throw you for a spin. I guarantee you it's going to cause you to refocus, reintegrate, recalibrate, and refocus. Again, trust me, write it down. <laughs> you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. So nothing's new in the world except how yeah. frequently things are new. Yeah. And an entrepreneur's got that in spades. Yes. So you better be ready. That's why my second book is called Ready for Anything. You need to be ready in that state so that you're not over or under reacting when new things show up. So that's why when I'm not doing anything else, I'm cleaning up all my backlog of collected stuff to zero because mm. there's a surprise coming toward me I can't see. Sure. And when that sucker hits, I want the ability to be able to make a quick intuitive judgment call about do that or not. But I need to know what all the other stuff is that I might be leaving behind if I do that. Right. So you can only feel good about what you're not doing if you know what you're not doing. And so the big challenge for entrepreneurs is to keep an inventory of what you're not doing you know, and make yeah. that okay. Yeah. Great stuff. One last tip for anybody who's got a big talk coming up. Relax. Relax. <laughs> Get your mind like water. <laughs> yeah, relax and find a good coach. Find yeah. somebody that, that can, even if it's, you know, your life partner or somebody that would be willing to listen to you and feedback, hey, dear, yeah. you know, I, you kind of lost me when you, when you did that. Uh, yeah. That was really cool and that was really fun. Great stuff. David, thank you so much for coming along. It's been and, a pleasure to talk oh, to you. Oh, my pleasure, David, always. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you need more help with your pitch, go to best3minutes.com slash academy. And you'll find our pitch masterclass with loads of practical tools and examples to help you make that winning pitch. You'll also find courses on presenting online, creating a video pitch, and managing your nerves. Thanks for listening. Give our show a rating and share your thoughts about this episode on Twitter. Our handle is at Best3Minutes. See you next time on The Essential Pitch. <laughs>